Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens. Every week we see a movie and sit down to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we've watched The Great Gatsby, directed by Baz Luhrmann, starring Tobey Maguire, Carrie Mulligan and Leonardo DiCaprio, and released this year, 2013. So a little quick plot summary about The Great Gatsby. It's set in 1922, and Nick Carraway, a Yale grad and war veteran from the Midwest, is starting her career selling bonds in New York City. He rents a modest cottage on Long Island that just happens to be right next door to the home of the mysterious and distant Jay Gatsby, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. New York's young and fabulous and old and important have been making a beeline to Gatsby's house every weekend of the summer to enjoy his fabulous parties, and he's the talk of the town. Meanwhile, across the water in the old money part of town, lives Nick's cousin Daisy and her cousin, uh, and her husband, sorry, Tom, played by Joel Edgerton. Despite their fabulous wealth, they're clearly unhappy. Tom has a roving eye and a long-term mistress, and is equally fond of partying, although he's highly suspicious of the upstart Gatsby. Meanwhile, Daisy is bored and pining for her lost love, who just happens to live right across the water. So, great Gatsby. Um, yes. Uh, it's also based on a novel by F. Scott Fitzgerald. In case we should you probably didn't know. Yeah. Um, we should probably mm-hmm. mention that. Um, okay, so I didn't get through the book. I started reading the book, and I, I know I read that first party scene, and I got to about, I think, maybe a third of the way through it, and I couldn't finish it. So I didn't did like it. Did you read it, like, in advance of this movie or just no, no, in high school ago. or something? Yeah. Uh, not in high school. I read it um, for fun. Right. Uh, I think when I was in university or just after university, mm-hmm. but I picked it up cause I was traveling and I wanted something to read and I got yep. a third of the way through it. And I was like, I would rather just play games or something than yeah. finish reading this book. Okay. I don't like the book very much. Having said that, I was pleasantly surprised by the movie in that I didn't hate it. <laughs> so I also have read the book. I think I read it when I was at uni, but I also reread it a couple of years ago for book club. So it was relatively fresh in my mind. Um, it's a really short book. So if you, if you stopped halfway through, I mean, it take, took me like three hours to read the whole thing. So yeah. it's about, I think it's like, it's just something like 50,000 words long. It's really, really short, a couple hundred pages. Um, I have, I don't know. It's a difficult sort of a book. Like is, and of course now this is one of the key problems with the movie is a lot of exposition and then, it just kind of finishes, and that's I think that's a key problem with the film as well as the book. And I don't know the, how you address that because that's how it's how it is. Um, the, but well, I mean, it has some strengths, and I I really enjoyed the movie. I actually, thought it was a fantastic adaptation. Usually, you don't. In, I mean, most uh, book to film adaptations, the book is better. In this case, I actually think the film added something. Hmm. So um, yeah, I was really pleased with the adaptation. I thought. I was, it was interesting because um, this is one of those books where depending on what time of your life you're in when you read it, you might have very different feelings about the characters. I, when we uh, were leaving the cinema, there were a bunch of teenage girls behind us and they were just, um, you know, ripping r- uh, ripping on Daisy and Tom and how awful Daisy was and blah, blah, blah. But when you're a bit older, I think you kind of see them in a different light. Tom? Uh, yeah, even. Well, he's well, pretty awful. He's I mean, he well, is painted... No, in a pretty awful light mm. in the movie too, which actually, um, when you were going through the cast list and you said Joel Edgerton plays Tom, I'd completely forgotten that that was Joel Edgerton, right? Which makes me suddenly a lot keener on his performance as Tom. I he thought was he was good, fantastic. I didn't know. Yeah, that's right. Um, he that was that's one of my notes here to, to talk about is that I thought Joel Edgerton was amazing in this because it's a really difficult character and he's not not likable at all and he's well, I mean. He's violent and brutish and awful to his wife, but and racist, very well, racist yes, that's right. for no white, other reason yeah, than to show him supremacist. as a bad guy. That's right, as well as all that. He's this horrible, horrible character, and he actually, I think, he does a really good job with him. Mm. And also, well, I just find um, 
and watching this someone who's slightly older than a teenager, like a lot older than a teenager, I find I have a little bit more sympathy for the Tom and Daisy characters, not because they're nice people, but because I understand it about it's a novel about how people get caught up in the the social structures that are hard to it's hard to fight against the mm. structural inequity of iniquity inequalities so it's hard to fight against structural inequalities in life and that's that's kind of the key of the key message and you you sort of see how this woman makes this decision and it seems horrible oh my goodness how could she abandon her one true love which when you're like 16 years old that would be the worst thing in the world but when you're like 31 you can kind of see well you know she's got a comfortable life and she doesn't want to mess up her family and she's got a kid and this guy it has no kind of promise and he's a bootlegger. The and- kid, though, really, oh, I know. It, she doesn't get a look in in this movie. Most of the time, everybody seems to completely forget about her. They mention mm. her once at the beginning and then you see her once at the end. I think yeah, it was the and- same in the novel. Yeah, and that's I think how the- important her parents regard her. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty appalling. The, um, the um, Fitzgeralds were, I, I suspect the Fitzgeralds were like that. Their first child was born during this and they were just swanning about in the Riviera, both of them drinking and smoking and partying as much as they ever did. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I I also – I think I had more sympathy for Daisy, not so much for Tom because Tom is yeah, more pretty for much Daisy. horrendous. Like, he's just a bad guy. Yeah. Um, I, I do actually kind of agree with him on who Gatsby is in some ways, not in terms of the uh, – the social part of it, you know, you'll never be any good because mm. you you weren't born and that's the, the same horror, way. As that's us. the horrible part of his character. But mm. in terms of what he does with Daisy, it's pretty nasty. Like he, he pushes her really hard to leave her husband. He tries really hard to get her to to aspire to this weird dream that he has that mm. they're going to be together and everything's going to be like it was before all of this happened. Which of course yeah. it can't be um which I, I know is one of the messages of the of the novel but then you know they try and paint him as this really sympathetic character and i actually like that he was a little bit sympathetic but also kind of a creep well that's the thing none of these characters none of these characters are like they're all flawed they mm. i mean nick does awful things gatsby does awful things okay see the one person i dislike in this movie more than tom is nick Carraway. Oh no way! I cannot stand him because Tom is like a jerk, but he's a jerk who does something. When he sees that Gatsby is like creeping on his wife, he does something about it. Yeah. Nick Carraway lets Jay Gatsby die because he doesn't want to say anything. He is a jerk and I can't stand him. Hmm. I can't because it's this thing. Um, it's a quote in the movie where he says he's within and without. Um, and I don't know whether it's also part of Toby Maguire playing him because I don't really know if anybody likes Toby Maguire at this point. I don't particularly like him. I don't think he's that good an actor, and I don't think he was that good in this movie. But I also he he just drives me up the wall because I'm sitting there watching him going, "You can stop everything that's happening if you just say a couple of words." Oh, hey, by the way, you know that girl that you hit? She happened to be Tom's mistress. Doesn't that suck? I mean, it's such an easy thing for him to do, and it's something that he just stands there have and stopped watches it, though. and shuts up. It I might have, nah, it might it have stopped have. something, and it might have stopped things earlier as well if he had talked a little bit about what was going on or something. He just stands by just and lets communicate. everything happen. But that's classic tragedy, though, isn't it? Like the lack of communication between these people. <laughs> but but I mean, then he, at the end of it, he, he, you don't come out of it seeing like you, it doesn't seem to paint Nick as that person. 
Like, it doesn't seem to say he was a bad person because he did this, or he, these were not good decisions well, that he made. Yeah, but it's he not just, just him making bad decisions. Gatsby makes a whole bunch of bad decisions himself. I know. Like, I feel like he brings his own, like, he brings it on himself, his he own does. fate. Yeah, like, he he's does. Not, and I, I completely disagree with doing you on training Toby Maguire in this as well. I actually really liked him. I hadn't seen him in anything since Spider-Man, I guess. Like, I really, have. he hasn't done anything in years. I, I really liked him in this. I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh. I've forgotten he was in this movie and he was actually – I thought he did a really good job carrying it. I really enjoyed him. It um, might might depend on whether you enjoyed him as to whether you think he was any good, I guess. It it might have. I, I mean, I don't like the character. I don't like the actor much. So <laughs> the combination was not a particularly and good one for me. And you see him and hear him through everything. So it didn't really help because yeah. there's – I know it's part of the book and it's probably something that they – couldn't have done without but there's a I felt like there was a real over reliance on um on narration Mm, um he narrates things that you are watching and I'm like I don't need your voice in my head right now I can see what's happening on screen and that's one of those things where uh generally when you do a book to film adaptation that's what you take out you take out a lot of uh the narration and you also in adaptations uh, like um, Game of Thrones, which we keep coming back to for some reason. Anyway, but the, for instance, the Game of Thrones adaptation is really interesting because the book is all um, a bunch of different first-person narrators, but the TV adaptation, they've moved away from that and they've been able to show a lot more stuff and have a very different perspective. And it actually adds something, I think, to the adaptation. Whereas this one, this is a really faithful book adaptation. I think I liked it so much because it's such a faithful adaptation of the book. But that said, it's then let down by a couple of things that are a problem in the book. We've got this um, biased narrator, the the flawed narrator who, and but we're also using the narrator as a device. Like he has to be in every scene. He has to see every event that goes down pretty much except for I think one scene. And then of course the other weakness of the book, which we talked about earlier, which is that there is exposition that goes on and on and on and on, and on for quite some time. And then it just kind of snaps and we all get in, head into this big bloody finale. I feel like the whole first act of the movie is quick cuts. I don't know if that's actually true, but it felt felt like it. It was headache-inducing for me. I didn't oh. really like how they it, – it really is – I mean, if you watch all the, you know, the drapes and Daisy scene and him partying mm. and it all just happens really fast in all these quick cuts and it kind of probably felt like the book did – which was headache-inducing for me as well, where they sort of he sort of drifts in and out of one thing to the, to another without telling you what's going on really. But um, it it I felt like that was really irritating for me. All uh, the quick cuts mm. in the beginning. I wasn't a huge fan of that. That uh, there's the Daisy scene in the beginning where all these white curtains yeah. just blow everywhere. Yeah, um, mm, it's interesting because that you saw it in two D and I saw mm-hmm. it in three D. Now this is like I don't know, mark this date on your calendar, folks, or something, because I'm this first time in my life. I'm going to say. You should probably see this in 3D instead of 2D. I agree with he, that. Um, genuinely, yeah, this is the first time you've ever heard Katie say it as well, so mm. you know, mark that one down. Um, he really – this was shot for 3D and he really makes use of every little gimmick. Now, of course, Lerman's visual style is uh, full manic. of – Well, manic. I would say full of artifice and stuff like that. Uh, so the idea that uh, – he, he relies heavily on CGI and 3D and little trick bits, but it's kind of it kind of works with the kind of guy he is. He's very, he's not a realistic filmmaker. You're not mm. you're not coming to a Baz Luhrmann movie to see something realistic. So you get kind of cool scenes like the, when he sweeps through the Buchanan's dining room in that first scene, and they mm. she sort of you, she pops up from the couch, and then suddenly Jordan Baker pops up, and 
she's introduced via this, oh my God, gigantic diamond ring. Like it's so over the top. It's just hilarious. But I mean, but of course it's a perfect way to introduce Daisy because she's this character who in the end can't give up her comforts. I didn't notice the ring. I didn't know the ring. I was, I was like, there's her hand. This is like, <laughs> I would say like a three carat cushion cut with like a halo. It was gorgeous. Anyway, never mind. I think we're talking about movies. This is not Melissa's Diamond podcast. Although, you know, coming soon. Um, no, thanks. No, not no. interested in that at all. I didn't, I don't, didn't remember the ring at all. It just made me laugh. Oh, you, she kept, you kept seeing um, it throughout. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, this is, I'm often a fan of Baz Luhrmann. Mm. I like Moulin Rouge. I love Romeo and Juliet. I think likewise that is likewise. probably I'm partly completely a, in agreement. a, um, a, um, part of our generation, really. Um, having seen Romeo and Juliet at the movies, I think everybody in year seven and eight had a copy of the soundtrack. Um, I remember it being a really big deal and I love that movie and I frequently like Baz Luhrmann. Um, but, I just felt like it was really manic. And I think it might have helped to see it in 3D because there are some other shots in the movie as well where there were some strange the things. The opening credits it- are, are made for 3D. You kind of fall into them and then you get oh. to that green light. And Yeah, yeah um, there are some shots where it looks like they are just floating heads in front of a matte painting. It's very, it's a lot very better in odd. 3D, yeah. Um, and there's one scene in particular where Daisy's face changes colour, like her face oh. is one colour in one shot and the next shot she looks a lot greyer mm. and it's just a different, you know, I, um, I didn't, I, I didn't camera. notice that specifically, but yeah, the the – Actors live and look, yeah, very fake on matte paintings. Like it's really CGI'd, which mm. is why I they see it on the big screen, see it in 3D. Um, I'm not sure if, say, like 10 years down the track, high school and uni students studying The Great Gatsby should be watching this as an adaptation. I'm not sure that if you watched it, say, on a DVD or on your home television or something, that it's going to help you. Like you, you might see it and just think, what on earth was he doing? Which is why they should stop making movies for 3D because we Precisely. don't have all of that sort of thing. And it's not like we see things in 3D anyway. We no. see, I mean, in 2D anyway. We see things in 3D. We create the 3D in our mind. And when you f- shoot like this, it looks terrible. Mm. On a not, on, but on, on this, as a cinema experience, it's wonderful. Mm. But if you were to watch it, um, a, and it really is that Gatsby parties are just, and even um, Tom's little mini party at the beginning, like they're just, they they throw fireworks and champagne and mm. dancing girls and whatever else tassels at you. And and they they really do look great and very luminesque, but That's something I wanted probably to mention terrifying in 2D. As well with, in terms of the uh, faithfulness of the adaptation was really interesting because I'm sure plot-wise and character-wise and all that sort of thing, it's a very faithful adaptation. But in terms of actually portraying the 20s, it is not a very faithful adaptation. Apparently the fashion is not entirely accurate. And wow. also there's, you know, Baz Luhrmann doing his thing where he uses modern music in, well, that in uh, historical I, period yeah, pieces, not... which is fine with me. I don't really well, mind it. but Now, see, here I'm going to step in with a... I I think that's like it's actually a deliberate strategy, and it's also um, this he's picked this novel at this time because it's a really useful um, analogy for a period of time where things were going well, where everybody had a lot of money just before a big bust. Now Fitzgerald was writing in 1925, so he didn't know the stock market was about to crash. Although all he knew that he was that he was living through this time of of great hedonism. And I don't know whether he necessarily had an inkling that stock market was going to crash and everything was going to go to hell. But given the way he lived fast and died young, well, I wouldn't be surprised if things went to hell quite often for mm. Scott Fitzgerald. But I think that's one of the most interesting things about it is that you've got all these allegories in there about 
how in 1922 and the stock market is booming and everything's going really well, I think it's a, an interesting parallel to our times where we've had this great boom period through the early 2000s and then a bust. And now he is an Australian director, but it's a, an American sensibility. And, and obviously Australia isn't in the position that America is in, but it's very much a recession era sensibility about it. Like you, you know that this bad time is coming. You know that this can't last. Mm. And I mean, that's the, the you know, micro level story of the of the thing is that the good times can't last and you won't get there. But then I think what he does that's interesting is he actually pulls back from that and looks at the macro storyline of this can't last. And it's an interesting because it's an interesting time where you're bookended between two war between a world war and a Great Depression. It was just this brief little shining moment of about five years where people had money and partied and drank all the prohibited liquor they could. Mm. Um. Yeah, I suppose historically it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, to As me a that movie, was... it wasn't that interesting to me. Um, but mm. having said that, um, yeah, the the fashions and that are also very popular at the moment. I think there's yeah, I a this, kind of I heard this from um yeah well, I went to see it with um with Jelly, my husband, and he he said exactly that. He said it came out and he was like, oh, that's so. All the hipsters are gonna love that. It's like aimed at <laughs> all their fashions, and I'm yeah okay, fair enough. Yeah, I think there's a a fashion element to it as well, which well, is not entirely that's Baz Luhrmann. That's but- Luhrmann-esque, isn't it? Like he, that's what he does. He tries to, and this is not on the beginning of a trend. Like Moulin Rouge was, I think, at the very beginning of a particular trend. I think I would I would suggest that Moulin Rouge is single handedly responsible for the resurgence of burlesque. Mm. But this is more is not at the beginning of a trend. This is sort no. of reflective of a broader trend. Yeah. Um. I also uh, think it's interesting the way he cast it. Um, I would like to point out at this point that one of the things that struck me when I was watching the movie is I think there's two American actors in the whole thing set in New York in the 20s. Yeah, um, Toby because, and Leo? Yeah, Toby and Leo. I think that's yeah. it. Because when I was looking through the cast of all the other people, you've got like Barry Otto and Isla Fisher. But did and- you know Steve Bisley was the mm-hmm. sea captain? I didn't know until afterwards. I was so excited. And yeah, I was just like, it's Nipper from Police Rescue. <laughs> <laughs> this, if you don't know who Steve Bisley is, he's been in pretty much every Australian cop drama since I'd say about 1985. So he's a bit of a household name here, but he just has this tiny role as the sea cap, black well, the sea captain. He's got a name, but I don't remember. Dan Cody, of course, you remember what it is. Um, I feel like we're getting our Margaret and David on a little bit, but it must have been good for the Australian film industry to have that filmed here, and uh, I think that might be why it's. Um, it seems to be bigger here than it is in the States. Well, I wonder. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I certainly don't – I'm not the person who goes to movies because they're Australian. I'm, no. not, I'm not that person. I don't. Um, but I wonder if that's true. I, I, I do know that I, I feel like this film single-handedly kept Fox Studios in Sydney open one more year. Like, I don't think that would have survived. I mean, I, mean, it's, I think it's still open now, but I, I believe that they pretty much single-handedly propped up our local industry. I, don't, I have – there's not been a lot going on around here. And, and even when there are good local films like The Sapphires or what's that other musical one? Uh, Brand, Brand New Day. Day that, which that I are love. quite good. They don't movie. get huge audiences. They're quite niche. So um, I think The Sapphires actually did quite well. Mm. Um, the Sapphires seems to have done quite well, especially with the uh, Mamma Mia um, older lady crowd. Oh, like, right. That, that crowd. Yeah. Well, that crowd loves this film as well. Yeah. Uh, my, my work book club went on an excursion to see this um, and I, I know my, my auntie who's in her sixties, who has been off to see it long before. And when, when my work book club and my aunts go off to see things before I do, I think you can, uh, <laughs> you yeah. can safely say it's a hit with that crowd. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's interesting that, 
um, the kind of marketing they do for that crowd. But yeah, it does seem like it's a more popular, like a bigger movie here than it is in the States. Well, and, and that's, that's not really surprising mm. considering how many Australian actors are in this. You've got Carrie mm. Mulligan is British. Oh gosh, she's um, fantastic. She, I didn't even notice. I've forgotten she was British when I watched this. Yeah, she does a good fantastic. job. Um, I think she was one of the better performances. She looks yeah. sort of, she has that sort of timeless look about her. So mm. she works really well in a lot of different times. Yeah. And she's the right accent for an upper class American woman yeah. in that era. And yeah, so her and Edgerton were the standouts for me, but yeah, in terms um, of acting. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't usually like Leonardo DiCaprio. I am no. not the person who usually, because I just think there's, I'm sure he's a nice person. It seems like he's a nice person, but there's also a slightly sleazy thing about him ever since I he mean, sort of for once became an adult. I'm a complete agreement um, with you on this. But I actually think that worked really well for Gatsby, whereas a lot of the time lately he's been put in roles that it doesn't maybe work mm. as well for. It worked well for Gatsby and for his role in Django as well. I it was a horrid, it. sleazy. Oh, haven't you? Oh, no. my God. We have to watch that. I haven't we seen have it. And it's very it. upsetting because I can't So he was a really skeezy, gross guy in, in, um, in Django as well. The last couple of films he's done, he's been kind of skeezy. So it it does suit him. I mean, not that he's, he's actually in this uh, one I. I found myself having a lot more sympathy for him. Yeah. I guess I liked him a lot more in this than I uh, generally do. Not that I dislike him. Yeah, like I said, like you say, he's kind of. I'm sure he's a nice person. He just has a slightly sleazy look about him of not like, be of the overgrown child actor. Mm. Well, mm. it's interesting because that is exactly what I thought. I think because it mm. gave him space to have that edge to his character as well, it actually gave me space to like him more. So Indeed. I had more sympathy for him than when he's playing straight good guys and I'm like, but I don't like you, so yeah. it doesn't work. But then when he's got that part of himself that's a bit creepy and a bit like he's so so overwrought in this as well. Mm. Like he has these big emotional moments and I'm like it it actually worked really well for me in that I actually, you know, liked him better, had more sympathy for him um, for Gatsby as a character than I maybe would have if it was somebody else who I just straight up like, mm. like it doesn't have that edge to them he, because then I might be like, oh, but I usually like you and now you're being gross. <laughs> I think he brought something interesting to this character because when I read the book, Gatsby in the book to me doesn't seem quite as sleazy. Like he is, he clearly is, but you like him a lot more, at least I did. And I, I can remember in the book feeling really sorry for him that he had this one person at his funeral and it was just really sad. Mm. Um, in the in the movie, I was kind of like, well, he's lived his life in such a way that this is almost inevitable. Yeah, that he ends up with nothing. Well, yeah, but I mean, I feel all sorry these people. for him. Of course, this- but- I was surprised that Jordan didn't go, actually. Mm, well, I Jordan, don't know what she's like in the book. I don't Jordan remember. Jordan is my favourite character in the book, but even in the book, uh, Nick breaks up with her before the end. Of the, uh, before the end he was with her? Leaves. Yeah, they were a couple in the book. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're a couple in the book. Yeah, that's they don't make them a couple in this. Um, she she doesn't doesn't have a huge role, but, I mean, that's fine because the movie's too long as it is, so I, we don't need any other I subplots. I liked her. I liked it. She's my favourite character in the book. Mm. She Yeah, she's kind of no-nonsense professional golfer. She. I like her a lot. She's gorgeous in the movie too, tall oh, she, and Yeah, she's really gorgeous. Fantastic. We looked up this actress. She's an Adelaide Australian actress. Something. And we know nothing about her. This is her second role. Really? She's a, Yeah, this I is only like her I've second role that she's ever done. Okay. We, I did a bit of Googling and I couldn't actually find anything about her. I, maybe she might have been a model or something. She's very tall, which is, of course, fits the character because the character is supposed to be tall. She's supposed to be a professional sportswoman. And that's why she's a lovely character and we like her because she's very no-nonsense and very practical. And oh. She's kind of Nick's partner in crime throughout this. What? I've discovered that I had the uh, roles mixed up and that's why I thought she was someone else. Oh. Um, Adelaide something plays something at somebody else and I've, oh. I've heard of her before, but I, um, not this Elizabeth. Elizabeth Delicky, something like that. Some kind of um, name like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, Debicki. Debicki. Okay, so I was mixing her up with, I think it's Adelaide Clements. I don't know who um, that is. I've heard of her before, so I think oh, she's okay. been in some Australian things. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, I think I've mentioned, Isla Fisher was a standout for me as well. She oh, has really? this. Well, I don't know, but she has this presence that she brought to it that I don't didn't really see before her. Like when she came in, mm. I felt like she was sort of commanding the screen in a way that most of the actors that had been in it up until then hadn't. She's certainly um, a very compelling actress. I, I've spent the whole week watching her in um, Arrested Development's fourth season. So I heard her voice before I saw her and I was like, oh, God. But I think that might be my associations with the Arrested Development season, which is terrible. Um, I don't – I didn't – I don't know. She was neither a standout or a – to be honest, I w- yeah, I wasn't really that pleased with her part. But, again, she's got a very small and kind of thankless role. Yes. So. Well, that's what I mean. So, I, I mean, she, she was, looked great. Yeah. She looked great and she really sort of – She certainly – It was – I felt – You can't take actually, your eyes off her. She's got that kind of screen presence. I felt presence. really bad for her. Like, no, I – The that, character I, – I, I, maybe it's just because I felt so bad for the character. But when mm. I watched that, I was just like, everybody's so complaining tragic. and I felt so bad for her. And, again, this is part of the, the social commentary that goes on. The Wilsons, who are this poor couple who own a, a car repair – auto repair place – on the road, halfway between on the road between New York and Long Island, and of course it's highly allegorical. This they're in this place. It's like the ash pits or something like that. Mm. Anyway, this this basic industrial wasteland, halfway between the incredibly impressive and gigantic houses of Long Island and the glittering city of New York, and they own a a petrol station in the middle of nowhere. They've got almost no money, and I think the highlight of her week is that she has this rich man, Tom Buchanan, who takes her out to the city and keeps a secret apartment for her. Yeah. And, and they just have a really sad life, the pair of them. And and they're kind of the I get I guess they're kind of your victims of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the the re- reproductions of or reconstructions of New York and that whole area are, are magnificent. Beautiful. Like I even without the 3D, they looked really really great. They were really cool and you, there were shots where you actually got to see how it all fit together with these big car scenes that I thought were really cool. Oh gosh, yes, um, the car scenes. So chances. those bits, yeah, I actually mm. really enjoyed those parts. I think I enjoyed the movie more in the last part of it than in the first part of it where mm. it was all exposition and quick cut and very, um, I found it very difficult to, you know, figure out what was going on and who mm. was who and I kind of got a headache. But towards the end of it, um, I, once it settled down, I really liked it a lot more. I liked the scenes with um, with Gatsby and and Nick Carraway and Daisy hanging out um, mm-hmm. and the inevitable sort of disintegration of it. Um, I really liked the confrontation scene. Oh, that is um, a magnificent that is a scene. That's really good, intense, fantastically That's the bit well that made me go, scene. dear Lord, please someone give Joel Edgerton a Best Supporting Actor nomination because that was that scene was so well yeah. done. Just, you know, the build-up of tension and, the, oh, wonderfully done. Yeah, that was a really good scene and I felt like – so I think – my slightly more positive view of the movie came from that last little bit than the beginning um because in the beginning it had a lot of weird um it had a weird look to it and it was all very fast and i um i didn't like it as much um but towards the end when it really sort of built up i thought that was handled really well it was done really well you get a lot of emotion out of it mm. um and um but yeah then nick <sighs> going on about how he was this great man and how he was the only one at the funeral. And I'm like, shut up, Nick. Yeah, I that was – that plays out – to me, that played out differently in the book than it didn't on screen. On screen, I was just like – even that last line that Nick has where he, he tells Gatsby something about, you, you know, you're worth more than yeah. a lot of them. 
Like, you kind of get – I don't actually feel like that's true. I yeah, oh, no. I don't feel like he does. he's that much better they, than the rest of them. He's as, He's just as status-obsessed. He's just as – shallow he makes just as many stupid decisions that are entirely selfish well they no they idealize this dream of his and this imagination mm. of his and the imagination part is really interesting and I'm, I'm sort of impressed by him managing to build himself up and all that sort of thing but mm. they, he's just it's only for um, money to impress a girl yeah and well, i don't is- i don't really understand the the um i the idolization of that yeah. concept like well, I see, why i it's- guess it's an it's an Amer- it's got the American dream kind of allegory. The whole that anyone can start from some dirt poor farm in North Dakota yeah. and I, I appreciate that part, not that mm. part. The the fact that it's for a girl oh, seems for to a girl. be the the well, you know big shining thing. So for his him. motivation like, is not- so weak that <laughs> yeah. really that there's no way that it's ever going to last. I know, and it's such a strange thing because it. I mean, he he. I know he got it into his head. This is what it is. Like mm. once he gets all this money and once everything is better, yeah. then she will come back to him. But you just like get over it and yeah. go do something else because you're smart. Like you're smart. You're rich. Why would you like? Yeah, sure. Maybe it hurts, but like yeah, yeah I don't never got I that either. This is probably the problem with watching tragic love tales at this point in my life, where I'm like, <laughs> I don't. Why are you doing this? Yeah, I, I. That's the thing. It's really hard to watch tragic love tales at the a point in your life where you kind of, you kind of see sympathy for the person who stays with their husband. Yeah, like yeah. I, it's very. If you're a teenager, you can watch this and you just be like, oh, that's so tragic. Of course, I would, I, I would leave my husband for this guy who's just Stalking walked back into me. my life after five years, who's creepily decided to make himself really rich. Just and make to, scrapbooks about my entire yeah, life and say creepy. odd things. Yeah. yeah. And, um, hmm. Okay, so I found Adelaide Clemens. Oh, okay. Um, she is. She played Catherine, who I don't really remember, but Catherine. she was in um, Parade's End, which was on TV uh, recently. She might have been one of the dancers or something. I don't think that's a major role. No, I, I just thought I, – I think I assumed it was her because I had heard the name before and she was a major part mm. in it. Um, but, yeah, Parade's End had Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Which is why which I is know a movie about that it. she was in. Okay, that's why you've heard of her. Yes, it was a, yeah, it was a right. mini series that that they were in. Um, so I watched a little bit of that, and that's where I know her from. There you go. I don't even know who she was in this. I, no, I can I, I can only either. name the main the main cast. Really, I mean, there are a bunch of dancers and stuff, and there's a um, I can't remember his name. He's a character in the books as well, and you see more of him in the books, but you only see him for a really short amount of time. Um, is he the, the business the rich, connection? Yeah, he um, he's an Indian actor. Apparently, yeah. in India, it's like his face on all the billboards and Aww. on all the posters instead of Leonardo DiCaprio that's in the middle. Wonderful. They have him, and I think that's great. I think that's great. That's a bit like the um, the Chinese version of Iron Man Three with the. There's a the guy who plays the doctor at the end is has got this extended role in the Chinese version of Iron Man Three because the Chinese gave some money oh, really? to Iron Man Three. So there's like Chinese posters with this these two Chinese actors, one woman and one man. I can't remember their names, and they have a much more expanded role, like another couple of minutes even. Um, Talking that they, they have a they have like a, they're like the doctors in the in it anyway because of the Chinese money they have okay. this extended scene. I don't even I don't and now I don't remember them in the movie. No, you uh, the doctor who operates on Tony at the end. Oh, take his. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that oh. Guy. wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, so is, is, it's in a montage or something. Yeah, he doesn't. Movie, you don't even it? feature, but in um in in China he has a slightly expanded role because of the Chinese money for that film. Now I'm not suggesting there's Indian money in, in this film. I think it was. I think they it's got, just that they're really. He's a very got, famous actor in India. You know, you and I are actually investors in this film because Australian taxpayers. Funded this film to the tune of something like forty million dollars. 
It oh. got a whole heap of concessions and tax stuff to kind of – but but then again, it, it's single-handedly kept the industry afloat. Yeah, it's so really um, – I think it's there's something to be said for um, – mm. um, I watched that movie, Not Quite Hollywood, which, by the way, is a brilliant, brilliant documentary about um, the Ozploitation era. Oh, um, It I'm has not- lots of Quentin Tarantino in it. We I went feel like to we a, saw that film before we went to the we went to a screening we with Quentin Tarantino of an old Ozploitation film. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. sorry, continue. Um, yeah, I think we saw mm. um, Not Quite Hollywood before that. Um, mm. I remember it was one of my favourite movies of that year. It was yes, really yes, fascinating. Yes, yes. No, no, I remember. And I'm it's sorry. sort of this forgotten era in Australian filmmaking. But the reason that they had all these movies, and they were pretty cheaply made movies that sort of made some money at the box office, yeah. enough to cover yeah. them being made, mm-hmm. um, and they kept the industry alive, and and they were made um, by subsidies. Mm. Um, the, well, Australia only has a film industry because we subsidise it. Yeah, but this is the thing. They made they actually managed to make some money and, and sort of keep that industry and, you know, mm. keep the economy turning over in that sense. And that hasn't um, really happened much in recent years. I mean, you no. got to – there was like Wolf Creek, which was a few years ago now, which was like a, a, like a budget genre film that suddenly yeah. made a heap of money but you otherwise we make a lot of like kitchen sink dramas and serious films and wrist cutters yeah wrist slitters but i really like well you, you know my opinion they're like three good australian movies and they're all made in 1999 and 2000 <laughs> they are two hands looking for ella brandy and i can't remember the third one off the top of my head right now but two hands and looking for ella brandy oh okay yeah i love um priscilla queen of the desert oh I love yes it. that's right that, that um, that'd be up there yeah that's one of my favorite mm. australian movies of all time but it is um, it's a really sort of sad reflection, I think, of how and, – and it doesn't seem like anybody in the Australian film industry is looking to entertain people. They no. just seem to be looking like – To get enough It's all very credits, serious. In, get enough credits to move to LA and yeah, do real that, movies. That's the other thing is that we have all this – like we have these um, short film festivals and all of these programs to find young filmmakers and all, all these young actors um, who, you know – Mm. cut their teeth on Home and Away and Neighbours. Everybody that we have who is worth a damn goes to America. Right. All of them. And you can see America is full of Australians. Mm. And among the – there's an older generation of uh, the aforementioned Steve Bisley (laughs) and uh, Jack Thompson who are in this who kind of do live in Australia most of the time, although both of them do American films too. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you – I hate to say, but it's a market-based industry and you go where the work is and you go where you're going to make the money and you go where you're going to have the most options to work yeah. in the widest variety of stuff. But I think the problem is that nobody supports, nobody I mean, bothers. not us going to those movies. Because no. if a movie isn't good, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go to it no. just because it's Australian. Yeah, no. What I'm th- saying is if there was some kind of investment in it from people. Um, I'm thinking maybe Kickstarter might be a good like yep. place to start with this sort of thing. If people put in the money to see the movies. Account to uh, have a Kickstarter, but yes, something similar, like Indiegogo. I'm sure or, they could, yeah. Yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that would be a really good place to start because I think the problem is that they're not making movies that people want to see yeah. and then nobody goes to see them. You've got to have some way of um, investing in things that are fun and interesting again yeah. instead of the ones that, you know, get some cred up. Oh, although Animal Kingdom is supposed to be good, I really want to see right. that too. But, and I could think of actually there's a local example of a Canberra group of filmmakers who raised a bit of money on Indiegogo, not much, like – $10,000 mm. um, to make a film called Theatre of the Dead, just a genre zombie piece. Mm. And that that to me is like not aiming high enough. Yeah. Like you need to earn you – know, they, they probably need a budget of around a million to make something that's decent and high quality and everybody gets paid on. 
But, um, yeah, I think you're right. That's a rather interesting and well, sad reflection on the As we industry. know, Kickstarters don't usually get that much money. I mean, the no. biggest biggest and- Kickstarter ever, which has just happened, is the $4 million for Veronica Mars, yeah. of which I contributed $250 and it, personally. And then, of course, then you, of course, get another problem, which is the thing about Kickstarters is if you're already an established name, you can make really good money. Um, Amanda Palmer, the um, musician who's married to Neil Gaiman, she – made over a million dollars to do to fund her latest album mm. but she had a very high she has a very high profile already mm. so she was able to make the yeah, and yeah what's her face um veronica mars zach braff those kind of people can make money off kickstarter because they've got the fan base to generate it i think it is a uh is a starting point though so what's yes, that, what you absolutely. might have is i think um I'm all about sort of changing the model for how things are being made. And I think mm-hmm. what we're getting now is, um, yeah, the people who are already famous from the things we already know are starting up, but they are also like supporting people who maybe we don't know. So there's going to be other people who aren't as famous in things and then, or who aren't as well known. Um, the one I'm thinking of is I'm also, I was also part of a Kickstarter for Lust for Love. Which we, were is, both, we are both associate both, producers on right. Lust for Love. <laughs> um, and so, um, Lust for Love, the director of that is someone called Anton King, who is not excessively well known, but it has some people from Dollhouse in it. And so it made some money based on, you know, connections and things like mm. that. It appealed and to I think, the Whedon fans. Yes, it appealed mm. to the Whedon fans. And I think that's, that's sort of what you're going to see happening is that, more, that yes. you'll see the connections start to grow and, and more supporting each other and things like that. Yeah. And then it'll grow from there. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, and you're right. I think that's maybe where the Australian industry needs to go. Anyway, we've given you a little diatribe on the Australian industry, probably sidetracked a little, and we're getting close to time for us. Um, we've definitely okay. gone over our 30 minutes, but I think we finally had a movie we disagreed on, so we were a bit excited and got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I don't – yeah, we disagreed on some points. Some things. We would disagree more considering how vehemently I dislike the book. Yeah, and I, I, I like the book, love the movie. But anyway, so then we should probably give some ratings. Oh, yes. Yeah, so do you want to go first? Um, I gave this movie three stars out of five. Okay, so I'm going to give it four and a half because I don't give five stars very easily and I don't think it was perfect, but I did love it and I did have a great time watching it. Okay. Okay, so now uh, Katie has written this up on her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com, so she, you can go and read her review there if you want to learn more about what she's she thinks or leave her a comment. Um. If you want to read any of the show notes attached to today's podcast, visit our website, silverscreenqueens.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Screen Queens or like our Facebook page. And um, if you have time and you listen to us through iTunes, we really love it if you leave us a review. That's a really good way of us getting more listeners. So you've been listening to Silver Screen Queens. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Bye.